Um, we're reading from Genesis 22, 1 to 14. We're reading from the ESV. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they both went, so they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The word of God. All right, praise the Lord. Whoa. All right, praise the Lord. Uh, good morning. My name is uh, Josh Kim, and I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central. Uh, we're glad that you could join us this morning. If you're new to our church, please do stop by our guest table on your way out. We'd love to get to know you, but also to share with you what God is doing through this church. Um, as our elder Barnell talked about this morning, um, Pastor Howard and um, our First Lady Kelly, as well as Pastor Mari, um, as a bunch of other folks in our church are out this weekend. They're at LDR, which stands for Leadership Development Resource Conference in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And um, I believe uh, Pastor Mari is presenting as well as, or they pre he presented, as well as I believe uh, uh, Kelly presented. Um, and Pastor Howard this morning is preaching at uh, First Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga. So please do pray for them as we remember them. And one of the things that we want to do when they come back is ask a lot of questions. Uh, the reason why we encourage them to go, we want our pastors as well as a lot of our folks to go, uh, is for them to not only to go to a conference, but for them to be refreshed to learn. And when they come back, they actually strengthen our church as they're refreshed by being trained again, as well as they connect with others. They come back and they bring a lot of different ideas, convictions as well. So thank you, Christ Central, for supporting that effort and sending them and really encouraging them to go. Um, Pastor Howard will be back next week as he continues his sermon series in a summer confession series as he's talking about 
different lessons he has learned during the summer. But this morning, I want us to take a short break and look into one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And perhaps it is one of your favorite chapters in the scripture as well, as well as one of the most troubling texts that we come across in Genesis chapter 22. And it's one of the most beloved stories, a story that you and I are very familiar with, but also a story that often makes us wonder why. And the answers are often not really um, answered well in different contexts. I have two older sisters, um, and growing up with two older sisters was a lot of joy to be able to be surrounded by my sisters who love me, who care for me to this day. But also as a youngest boy of the three, it was always very difficult as well, because as you could tell, it was two versus one most of the times. And I always wanted to play with them, because they were my older sisters, I looked up to them, and I always wanted to play with their toys. But my two sisters, of course, they always never included me in their play. Um, I remember wanting to play with them and begging them to share their toys with me, and my mom, who saw this poor, poor son, begging his sisters, one time told my sister, you have to play with him. Look at him. And I remember my sister, out of this heart, not out of the gracious heart, but the heart that just couldn't want to get yelled at anymore, ended up giving me her favorite toy to play with. And I was overjoyed at the fact that finally uh, I was able to play with this toy. But the joy lasted only for two seconds. Because the moment my mom went out of the door, my sister came back and took the toy back, as if to say, I never wanted to give to you in the first place. Right? Yeah, I need some counseling here. Um, <laughs> but I remember thinking, why would you do that? Why would you pretend to give me something to make me really want to play with it, make me feel like I am part of this, the crew that you're forming here, these two sisters and I, but why would you then take it away from me like two seconds later? It is so cruel, not even to give it to me in the first place, but to take it away after pretending to look like you want me to be included in the play. It's a silly example, but when we read the story of Genesis chapter 22, we can't help but to escape that kind of feeling when God asks Abraham, for his son. The story of Genesis 22 is a familiar story, a story that a lot of us, if you grew up in a church, probably heard in your Sunday school experience. It is the story of Abraham and Isaac. And that's, every time I hear it, I love it. I absolutely love the story because I know how it ends. We know the end of the story. Of course, the story displays Abraham's great faith but also talks about God's great deliverance. And as the title of the sermon indicates, the Lord will provide. We find out at the end of the story, Isaac is indeed okay. But as we read this story as bread, read this story for us, there is that tension that often makes us feel uncomfortable when we read stories like this. The story raises some serious questions that we have to answer, such as, how can this loving God tell a man to slaughter his own son on the altar? That doesn't seem like God who is love. How can this be God that we come to love and long for 
in the scripture. Why would God do this to Abraham in the first place? What's the point anyways? If God is sovereign of all things and omniscient, meaning knowing all things, why does he do this to begin with? Doesn't he know that God knows Abraham is faithful after all? He seems more cruel of God who knows all things to dangle the life of his son in front of him. Why would God do something like this? And honestly, church, questions like this often make us move away from God in times of hardships and testings rather than draw us near to God, who is love, regardless of the conclusion of the story. And if you have similar questions this morning, I invite you as we explore these questions together. As I was testing, not testing, I was wrestling with this text this morning, throughout this week, um, I was greatly aided by my, one of my beloved Old Testament professors, Dr. Sklar, he has done extensive study and taught on this topic. So a lot of these insights do come from him. So all credit goes to him, right, and to God. But this story can be divided in three here I am statements. As Brad read for us, you constantly heard this phrase, here I am, here I am, hinene in Hebrew. It means here I am, a surrender saying of here I am breaks this text apart in three parts. And we're going to take this part together as we read this story. The first here I am, as we find, begins in verse 1 of God who tests Abraham. Verse 1 of today's text says, after these things, God, emphasis is on God, tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. The story brings much delight to us, especially if you're familiar with the biblical story. Because you and I know the importance of Abraham and Isaac. If you read through Genesis, you know Abraham is a pretty big deal. Not only so, later on you find out Abraham is a big deal in the New Testament as well. So it brings much joy to us as we read about the story about Abraham's faithfulness. But imagine, the first audience of this story is not actually us. The first audience of this story is the wandering Israelites who escaped, who were led out of Egypt, and is wandering in the desert, is waiting to go to Canaan. This story is told by Moses to this Israelite as the first audience. And for the first audience, Abraham is their faith father, as well as their ancestor. And for them, as who are wandering in the desert, who will soon face nations and people who are much bigger, who are much stronger, who, is, who are much mightier than they were, and whose lives were very, very difficult. The story of Abraham brings much joy to them. On top of that, the wandering Israelites, their resources were scarce. And we see throughout the book of Exodus and Numbers, Israelites are often running out of water or food. They were in fact in the midst of the most intense testing times of their lives, where faith was hard and obedience was much harder. And they had no one to but to turn to God, to provide, who delivered them 
out of Egypt for help. But as you can sympathize, that wasn't easy for them. And time and time again, as we throw out the Bible story, Israelites grumble and complain. And they say, I would rather go back to Egypt rather than suffer like this in the desert. Perhaps just like you and I, when we face hardships and testing times, we grumble and wonder why God would place us in times like this. But as we see this Yahweh, the personal God, was compassionate, slow to anger, and he provides them again and again with manna and water, oftentimes miraculously, to remind them that God is the only one that can be trusted. And if there is a hallmark character in all of that story, that is Abraham, their forefather, who earlier in Genesis chapter 12 demonstrated that kind of faith when God sends him out of his land to go to a place where God is preparing for them. And to hear their story of a hero, Abraham, who was also tested by God, it not only captures their attention, it also encourages them. If Abraham gets to be tested and found to be faithful, how much more can we also have hope? But as they listen to this story in verse 2, they realize this test is nothing like, none, like anything they have ever heard before. Verse 2 says, he said, Take your son, God says, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. If you follow the story, you know Isaac is a very important person as well. God promises three things to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. Land, people, and for him to be a blessing. And by you get to Genesis chapter 20, the land is given to him, a glimpse of the land is given, as Abimelech says to Abraham, Behold, my land is before you, dwell where it pleases you. But now we're still waiting for the land, nation that is to come, the people group that is to come. And right before Isaac is born, Abraham tries to get his own son, and that's Ismael, Ismael, and God says, send him away. And after Ismael is sent him away, we see in chapter 21, right before 22, God finally gives Isaac. In 21, 20, uh, 21 verse 2 says, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, the time of which God has spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Isaac is the child of the promise a blessing to the nations. And immediately after Isaac is born in 21, and after some time has passed, in chapter 22, we see now God asking for this child to be sacrificed. And the question that we ask is, why God? Why would God do something like this, let alone a child's sacrifice? And it is just as confusing for the first audience, the wandering Israelites. The why would God do something like this? But they are surprised for different reasons than us. I think when we read Genesis chapter 22, we're appalled at the fact that God is asking for a child's sacrifice. 
But for the wandering Israelites, what is appalling to them, or what is wandering to them, what is questionable to them, is why would God choose Isaac to be sacrificed? Because if you study the context of the nations surrounding Israel at the time of the story, it wasn't a surprise. In fact, a God, on any God, an idol, would ask a firstborn child to be sacrificed. Especially for a nation surrounding Israel, as they served a God or an idol named Molech. And this Molech required their followers, in fact, to sacrifice their child on an altar as a burnt offering. So if you actually Google Molech in Google website, I mean, don't do it now, right? But you actually see an idol like this with hand held out, and you're supposed to place your child upon it, and you're supposed to roll down into the fire. And what this idol worship meant was to show your devotion to this God, to this idol. If you understand that, this is the most logical test God can give to Abraham to see if he will indeed give his ultimate devotion to God and God alone. Therefore, what is most confusing for Israelites is not the fact that God is asking for child sacrifice, as scary as it sounds for us. What is confusing for the Israelites is why would God ask this child, Isaac, of all the people, a promised one to be sacrificed? How can and will God fulfill his promise to Abraham if Isaac is sacrificed? But the story continues on, and we find that Abraham obeys despite his harsh command. Verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from the altar afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Church, here we see a glimpse of Abraham's faith in obedience. You see, there's no hesitancy with Abraham, but rather, there's a trust. And that's where we get to the second, here I am, God, who is trustworthy to Abraham in this text. At this point of the story is where I often wonder if Abraham really means what he is saying here. Right? When he says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and we'll come back. It doesn't sound like that's going to happen. In fact, he's supposed to go and sacrifice his son. So what is he saying by telling the servants that, in fact, he will come back? A lot of secular, liberal, even orthodox commentators range from saying, at this point of the story, Abraham is, in fact, delusional. He is cynical. Or even, he is still confused at why God would ask for such a thing. So what is it, church? Is it Abraham who is confused, who is cynical, or is he trustworthy in his character of the words he speaks? What we can do is rely on how Abraham's character has been portrayed 
throughout Genesis again and again to us. And of course, there's hiccups to Abraham's story when he lies about his wife being his sister. And for some of us, that is big no-no, right? How dare you do that? And there's also a hiccup where we see Abraham indeed bearing Ishmael out of God's plan. But throughout the story of Genesis, we see Abraham, despite the hiccups of his life, he's shown to be a person of character, someone that demonstrates time and time again what he says is what he means it. After all, this story has a strong parallel to the command of Abraham that he hears from Genesis chapter 12 when God sends him out of the land of his forefathers to go to the land God has prepared, here God is sending Abraham out of his comfort place of family and sending him to the Mount Moriah to sacrifice the son. And we see in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham faithfully obeying the commands of the Lord, foregoing all that he's promised in inheritance from his forefathers, and in Genesis chapter 22, we can also be sure that he does not go with confused heart. He goes with an obedient heart, trustworthy heart. And we find God who is trustworthy to Abraham, even when he's confronted by his son Isaac. And Abraham took, verse 6 says, took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took it in his hands, the fire and the knife. So they both went them together. And Isaac here said to his father Abraham, My father, he said, and we find here, here I am. Here I am, my son. Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, Together. As we read, Isaac at this point was wondering, Well, Father, I see all the stuff we need. We see the wood, I see that shiny knife, and I see all the fire that you put to start. But where is the sacrifice? Right? Something's fishy here. Something's going on. Where is the sacrifice? And here, Abraham, who responds to Isaac by saying, God will provide. God himself will provide. In his original language, God Elohim is emphasized and is placed in order in the beginning, as if to say God, God himself will provide. So Abraham here, to his beloved son, is not lying. In fact, here comes one of the greatest testimony of faith to declare that God himself will provide for them. We see Abraham's faith is deep and strong. We also get this affirmation later in the Hebrews. In chapter 11, where it says, Abraham, when tested, consider God was able to even raise him from the dead. You see, Abraham's resolution is that God can be trusted. The God who led him out of the land of Ur, God who led him thus far, time and time again, can be trusted despite what makes absolutely no sense to him. And church, I think this is the first lesson we see from this narrative, that our God can be trusted 
that despite the difficult circumstances you and I may go through, at times, honestly, there is no explanation of why certain things happen to us. But one thing that we see time and time again is our God can be trusted. And through this story, Abraham demonstrates that for us that despite the circumstances that does not make any sense to him, he considers who God is, ponders on God's character, and remembers that he will, in fact, deliver him. But I believe that does not take away from the fact that this is a difficult test. Nor does it mean he's not struggling here. The text doesn't really tell us what Abraham is feeling here. But we know that this was an excruciating journey. I remember when I was in Senegal, I was on a mission trip, and we were walking in this Muslim land, and I ran across a witch doctor during a prayer walk. And he looked very, very scary to me. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I was a young adult, just working right out of college. And I was thinking, do I minister to him? Do I preach the gospel? Do I run away? What do I do? And from my far a corner of my eyes, from far distance, the missionary that we're walking with was running towards me, yelling. And I thought, whoa, what an amazing man of faith who is coming to my rescue, declaring the gospel truth against this witch doctor. And the witch doctor went inside. I'm thinking, wow, amazing deliverance from the Lord. Later, I found out that he was scared out of his mind for me. He was telling me to run away, right? And he came to me for my rescue. And this text also doesn't really tell us what Abraham is feeling here. And as I thought about my one and only son, what Abraham would have felt and experienced during those three days' journey. Notice that it's three days. It's not like the next day he gets to do this. It takes three excruciating days of him walking with his son together to this journey. What struggle, what heartache must Abraham have gone through? And church, just because God can be trusted doesn't take away from our fears our doubts, and our questions in all this. I think sometimes, and very often, we feel like this in the midst of the tests and the trials, even when we know that God can be trusted. Feeling of devastation, feeling of sadness, and fear of unknown, the struggle that comes and I think that is okay. It is okay for us to have those emotions. This does not mean you lack faith. This does not mean that you don't trust in God who is trustworthy. But also, do not miss out on what Abraham is saying here. He is saying that even in the midst of the test, in the midst of the trials, even in the midst of your fears and sadness and all kinds of emotions that you may go through, you can absolutely trust in the one who is constant and who will provide for him and for us. And as I go to the top of the mountain with fear and trembling, with worries and unknowns, we see Abraham 
leading his son, and he gets ready. In verse 9, it says, When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son. And he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took his knife to slaughter his son. And that's where we get the final, here I am. The third here I am says, God who sees Abraham, Israel, and us. And as Abraham readies to take the final blow, to take the life of his son, the angel of the Lord cries out. In verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and there's urgency to the angel. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt sacrifice instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. It is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Amen. Wow, what a great resolution, right? Don't we love this story because of that resolution at the end? God shows up in the final, here I am. In verse 28 says, the Lord will provide. And the word provide here is literally to see. What this means is that God sees Abraham, his children, Isaac, Israel, and us. God sees us. And when God sees us, he provides for us. God's nature is so gracious, his loving, his natural response to those who are in need is that he provides. The Lord sees the need. The Lord, Yahweh, sees where we are. Therefore, God provides. In fact, seeing of God coincides with God providing. Furthermore, you know, the Lord Yahweh, the personal name of God, appears here for the first time in this narrative. Throughout the verse 1 through 14 in chapter 22, God is called the God Elohim, God who tests Abraham. But when God appears in verse 14 and God provides a substitute sacrifice, God's personal name, Yahweh, appears here for the first time to indicate to us God who sees us, God who provides us, God who loves us, is not merely a God who's far away from us, but God who's personal to us, who knows us, who knows our heartaches, who knows our struggles, who knows our our fears. God is the one who provides for us here. It's a personal God. And for wandering Israelites, this story means that the Lord Yahweh sees them in their extreme hardship, in their extreme testing times, The story for them, lesson for them is as they walk in this desert, in this wandering place, wondering where is my food coming from? 
Where is water coming from? Are we ever going to enter into the promised land? Are we ever going to claim the promise of the Lord? In this wandering heart, what the lesson they're learning is that, in fact, God sees them. The Lord Yahweh, who provided for Isaac, who provided for Abraham, will, in fact, provide for them as well. The Lord Yahweh, who saw Abraham and Isaac, will also see who they are and meet with them. Hence the saying that says, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided is spoken again and again and again as a reminder for all of us and for the Israelites at the time that despite the struggles of your life, God will provide. God will provide. It's a reminder for you that God will in fact provide for you because he sees us where we are. And church, church of Christ, this is not an easy lesson, right? As simple as that, it is not an easy lesson by any means. Well, how often I go through this test again and again and again, and don't let anyone tell you that this is easy. I know a lot of us are going through very difficult times in our church, the things that cannot be explained by any means, then let no one tell you that you should be happy. Let no one tell you that this is easy. Get over it. Because this is not that easy. It's extremely difficult. Wandering in the desert was not an easy thing. Abraham's test was not an easy thing. It is not. And I think it often takes a long time for a lot of us to learn this, isn't it? Just as Abraham had to learn time and time and time again, and just like the Israelites who had to learn the story time and time and time again. You know, this is one of the last stories that you hear about Abraham. Chapter 22, after 22, Isaac takes the center stage. What we see is that Abraham grew through the years of walking with God to learn this lesson. When Hebrew 11 says he considered God to raise his son from the dead, that means he considered God's character, who God was to him time and time and time again. He went back to God's faithfulness to look forward to God who provides, who remember God's old promises to hold and lay claim to God's provision in the future. So when we come to the story of Genesis chapter 2, the lesson is taught to us again and again and again, not only for the Israelites, not only for Abraham, but to all of us, that God, the Yahweh, sees us and he'll provide for us. And the question that we're left this morning is this, do I trust in him? Do you trust in him, church? Do you believe, do I believe that he is working all things out for the good of those who love him? Do you believe in the scripture, basically? Do you believe in the God of the scripture? Even in the valleys of the shadow of death, do you see, do I see his everlasting love that follows me all the days of my life? And is that your testimony this morning? Is that what you're testifying to as we gather to worship the Lord this morning? Abraham, through this story, is resoundingly answering, yes, God is in fact trustworthy. God will provide.
There's one more question that we have to address. If the Lord knew what was going to happen in this story, why would God test Abraham? What's the point of testing Abraham if God knows, in fact, he will pass the test? We can see the reason behind the thinking about what Abraham did as we think about this. What we see is through the story, the test was, in fact, not only for God to see. God knew, but it's more for Abraham, isn't it? Abraham here learned that he must put the Lord before anything else in his life, no matter how precious that is. His son, your only son that you love. It's emphasized for that reason. Abraham learned that he is different. God is different. Yahweh is different than any other god. The other gods will never stop you from sacrificing your own son. But we see in this story, God stops Abraham. And later on, he tells him that you will not sacrifice children. My God is different than any of your gods, y'all. My God is compassionate God. God is love. That's what he learns. And Abraham learns that most of all, in the midst of the trials and tests, about the Lord's faithfulness in the ways he could have learned it, not in any other way. He came to know the Lord more deeply. He learned to trust in the Lord more deeply. So when God says, now I know, this is more of confirming what God already knows to be true rather than a new information for God. In this, in this we see that the Lord gives tests to show Abraham and to the watching world our God can be trusted. And even more so, in the midst of the test, we can learn to trust in him and we could come to know him deeply and this is the greatest good that he can give us. And that's what Paul says, isn't it? I consider everything else rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So the fact that Abraham gets to know this God personally, God who can be trusted, is the greatest gift that God could bestow upon him. Knowing God more intimately at the heart of what it means to walk with him, to believe in him, to be a follower of God, is to find God in the midst of the trials and hardships you're going through. Because despite all that we try to do, we know the only thing that we could trust, only one we could trust, is God himself. And as we conclude, there's obvious echoes of Christ of the cross in this story. When we read, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, there's echo of Christ. God's only son, his beloved son, sent from heaven. When Abraham is told to go to land of Moriah, you know where land of Moriah is? The hill. The land of Moriah is near the hill where Christ was crucified. I don't know about you, but that sends chills down my spine. When you read the story that says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do not anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horn. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. When you hear the story, this Christ, 
this screams out, Christ, Christ, Christ. As we come to the hill on the land of Moriah, as we follow this path with him in our trials, in our testings, and let's be honest, we have often failed. And rather than demonstrating this amazing faith, we often demonstrate spectacular failures again and again and again. And as we go out to this land, we grumble and grumble and grumble. We curse God and say, it's better to be a non-Christian. It's better to be somebody else than follow this God who demands everything out of me. And we wrestle, we fail again and again, and we take that path up to the mount, to the Calvary in the land of Moriah. And we see the cross up there, the place where you and I should be, where our failures come to, and we know it. And you and I know we deserve it. The weight of sin that weighs heavily upon us and as we get closer and closer, as we look upon the hill, we look upon the cross, in the place where I should be, there's someone else. The place where you and I should be crucified, someone else is already up there. And it becomes very clear to us, someone else is hung up on the cross. He took my spot he took my place. God's son, his only son, his beloved son, was not spared. You were. Rather, he was the substitute. We were spared. We were withheld. And we are saved. Christ was not. He was the sacrificial lamb of God who came to take the sins of the world he was who was offered as our substitute to atone for our sin. Church, this is the gospel. This is the story of Abraham's testing. And as we ponder of these things, the question that we ought to answer, if this is our God, Yahweh, who will not withhold his son from us, how can he not be trusted? How can he not be trusted? If this is our God, Yahweh, who sees the depths of our sin with his outstretched arms and offers us, offers us that grace and mercy, how can you not but to throw ourselves at the foot of the cross? So the Lord is showing us his involvement at the Calvary. And he's also showing us the cost it took for him to show that involvement. And he's showing us the supremacy of faith in receiving the gift, the benefit from the Lord. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, May I urge you, turn to him. In the times of extreme test, not saying it's easy, by all means. He is our God, Yahweh, who sees you. May not be clear now, but he knows you. He is leading you. He can be trusted. If you're not a follower of Christ this morning, what mercy will you find at the foot of the cross? Pray with me.
Father, we come before this cross. And we acknowledge that, Lord, despite our best attempts, we struggle to see why things happen the way it does. Lord, we struggle because despite our best efforts, we don't fully understand why things happen to us, why there are hardships, why there are sufferings, especially for those who follow Christ. And Lord, there's so many stories in this room, so, so many of us that have struggles that testifies to the fact that despite our best efforts to follow you, we struggle again and again and again to see God's purpose in all this. But as we see through the story of Genesis chapter 2, it reminds us that God who loves us, who will not withhold his son, his only son beloved, for our sake, our God can be trusted. So Lord, strengthen us despite our failures, despite our doubts, despite our questions. Remind us that your love for us never fails and we're ultimately headed towards the direction you want us to go towards, where there's no more tears, no more pain, and no more suffering that is to come. Strengthen your people, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.